So it's taken a little bit uh, to wrap your head around this idea that you don't even need to be the world's foremost expert. You just need to know something about a thing and share it and be willing yeah. to share it with someone who's even like one level behind you, right? So we all have something to offer. You don't have to know it all to be able to offer it. I'm James Stuber, and this is the Strangely Earnest Podcast. Our guest today is none other than the Notion Queen herself, Marie Poulin. Welcome, Marie. Thanks hey, thanks so for having for, me. For joining. Yeah. Can you give a quick introduction for people who aren't familiar with you? Yeah, so I do uh, digital operations. I teach people how to design their workflow, typically at the moment anyway, with Notion. So that's kind of been the layer on top of uh, you know digital workflow design. So that's where the majority of my time and energy is going at the moment, mostly through teaching, through my course. Um, I'm not doing as much consulting anymore, but I've brought in assistant coaches and things like that to help me with that process. So you're kind of catching me at a, a bit of an interesting time in my career. So happy to chat about uh, any of that evolution. Amazing. You know, but before we jump in, I do have to ask you about your crazy, like rocket spaceship plant tower thing. <laughs> the tower right garden. <laughs> yeah, the tower garden was kind of a hilarious indulgence that I bought myself this year. It's uh, yeah, like an indoor hydroponic setup where you can just grow your greens and vegetables indoor year round. And uh, the deer have a way of ravaging my garden every freaking uh, year. And so this is my gotcha. <laughs> Bit of a nerdy plants. hobby. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, so fun. It. And my, my girlfriend has been getting into plants as well during this quarantine. And this is one of hers. Uh, yes. Yeah, I feel like every kind of surface, I'm like, how can I maximize the number of plants per square footage? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of like, plants and, and things like that. I know you're interested in permaculture. Um, how is like, first, what is permaculture? And then how has that influenced the way you think about operations and planning? Yeah, I mean, per, like permaculture is essentially you could, it's like a design philosophy, if you will, it's based in uh, designing with sustainability in mind, it's influenced by the patterns in nature. Uh, I didn't even really know what permaculture was when I signed up for it, like I'd heard the word thrown around quite a bit. Um, and so I, I like to, uh, share with people the phrase that I read on this poster that was an advertisement for the course because it pretty much captured everything that I was trying to do. So the poster said, become a more conscious designer of your life, landscape, relationships, and work while learning how to save time, energy, and money. I'm like, that's pretty that's pretty compelling. Like, is that permaculture? I had no idea. So I was like speaking my language. I don't know what I'm signing up for, but like, yes, <laughs> take my money. And that I signed up for it. sounds like one of your courses actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, permaculture has really, um, I think be, it resonated so much because, uh, you know, similar to you, like I read your, you know, your uh, bio on your page and this idea that this obsession for like, what is the most efficient way to do this? Like, how do we become the most productive and systemize everything? And so a lot of the concepts in permaculture were things I'd heard maybe in a different frame and in, in the sort of productivity world. And I was like, oh, this is totally business advice, but from nature and it was it was so nerdy but i couldn't help but see the sort of business language in it just because you know that's kind of how my how my brain works like i'm just always kind of thinking in in business terms so everything i was i was hearing just resonated so deeply like um you know least change for greatest effect designing things at the pattern level um so it just everything i was i was hearing i'm like yep 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 this is this is business this is life it's all part of the same sort of design mechanism and it kind of felt like designing from first principles like i know you talk about like master those boring fundamentals like that's yeah. kind of what permaculture felt like was this um almost like deep universal truths in a way yeah the more i hear about permaculture the more i'm like man i really should take these and, and these concepts and these ideas and try to apply them to productivity systems as well not just business yeah i Absolutely. think there's a lot a lot that can be applied there and like play, you know playing to your strengths just being aware of what gives you energy and what takes energy away you know like we hear it's a huge. lot of it, it's you know uh when in the day, like what's your, what's your chronotype or kind of when are you most energized and what are the activities that are energizing you? It's all the same stuff. We just give it different language. And so for me, I think the permaculture language was actually so accessible 
but I think most people don't really know what permaculture is, or you think of like, oh, it's gardening, it's learning mm -hmm. how to garden better. And so I think there's such a missed opportunity. So I'm like, cool, how can I apply the principles of permaculture to business? And I want to design a framework around that. So it's definitely been a huge influence in kind of how I think about business for sure. Awesome. Can you think of a specific example where you took an idea from permaculture and applied it to your business? Yeah, I mean, one of the first things they make you do in permaculture is, you know, um, at least with this course, you're taking a year of observation, which feels like a lot, right? You're like, I want to be yeah. like making things happen. <laughs> but if I start, you know, designing garden beds in a certain part of the yard, and then by November, like there's no sun in that area, and I've planted like whatever plants there. So it's this idea, pay attention first to what you're working with and doing a bit of a zone analysis, which um, the idea is that you're designing for frequency of use, right? So the closest mm -hmm. to the center is like the things you're doing all the time. And then further out is like further distance, literally further distance, but also could be things that you're just not doing as often. So you're thinking like, what are the things that are going to have the highest impact in my life? And for us, like with my husband and I, we had a software that we were working on and it was the part of our business that took the most time and energy for the least financial and emotional result. And it was a reality check for us. It was like, why are we spending so much time, energy, attention in this one part of our business that actually is not making us happy? It's not exciting. It takes up a lot and gives very little in return. And so that kind of light bulb moment really shifted the way I think about other activities in my business too, not just the software, but like, where was my time going? And like, what's the point? And like, why would I be working on stuff that's just not lighting me up? So it just, it kind of gave me a different lens for, for how I think about work and, and what I'm taking on. That's really cool. It's, you know, when you're in the trenches, it's super hard to take a step back like that and go, wait, like why, where's my time going? Why am I spending so much time on this specific thing and not on the things that are bringing me energy and bringing me more, you know, more revenue? And we talk about from a productivity, like the 80, 20 and, and that sort of thing, right? So a lot of those concepts were not totally new to me, but there was something about the framing of it that I was like, yeah, okay, this is, it's landing in a different way. And so we actually made the call, like, you know what, if this is not lighting up either of us, maybe we shouldn't keep pursuing this. Like maybe it's time yeah. to shut down signups and switch our focus. So that was something that, that we did. So I'm, I'm a big fan of like, where are those leverage points and how can we just make our time and our energy uh, work, you know, better for us? Yeah, for sure. So you, you've decided to shut down that, that software side of the business. Is that, that's what what's happening? Yeah, like it, we're still in that process, but we shut down sign up. So new people can't sign up. We're still maintaining um, you know, so I guess you could say we're in maintenance mode, mm -hmm. um, but we're not accepting new signups. And for a while we were deciding, does it make sense to sell it? You know, and we were doing the research to do that. And we actually had somebody make us an offer and, uh, we were, you know, talking it through and the time and energy it was still going to take my husband to get it to the point where he could hand it off, whether it was like documentation or training somebody new. Yeah, we could do that. But again, for the payoff, it didn't really make sense. And we just yeah. thought, let's just maintain it for the people who you know are still paying us and it still works for them and it's great but be clear with them like we're not going to be adding new features this is not uh, our primary you know focus point so give people a year two years to kind of move off the software so uh, it was always like a very small small percentage of of our revenue and uh, we just thought yeah it's like my husband got offered a, a full-time job and that was like the real okay at this point like it's really going to take extra time energy and attention and it just yeah didn't really make sense. I mean, that's sort of coinciding with this recent kind of explosion in, in your own your own products, you know, your Notion course and your YouTube have both, you know, just absolutely skyrocketed <laughs> in the past year. I, Weirdly I would say. exploded. Yeah, very yeah. strange. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to answer like any, any parts of that, but it definitely felt like, uh, it almost felt like everything took a left turn when I was like, hey, um, I'm seeing all this traction with Notion, what were to happen if I were to double down on it, like as yeah. an experiment. And I, I've always kind of considered myself a bit of a generalist, like I've lots of interests and I've done you know, client work, I've done the software thing, I've done courses, I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, and I've never really hung my hat on one thing ever mm. consistently. And I thought, oh, this niching thing, like, okay, let's, let's try it. Let's like see what happens here. And so um, 
And as soon as I decided, it was like, holy crap, the momentum and the, you know, uh, the YouTube videos, I kind of decided I'm going to use YouTube as a chance to like fill those gaps and to answer those yeah. questions. And I was like, whoa, my gosh, it just, it, it grew so fast that, you know, I had people like making, making comments about my terrible video, <laughs> like your hair looks terrible or whatever. I was like, oh, oh no. wow. Like, and so, you know, and I think you, you're in Ali Abdel's um, part-time YouTuber course too, right? Yeah. And I think obviously, you know, Notion's kind of a, kind of a rocket ship. And I feel like it's kind of an exception that my growth, you know, a big part of it was because I had decided to kind of attach myself to Notion. Um, so the growth that I experienced on YouTube felt almost like artificially huge, like so fast mm -hmm. that my own skills around video production and storytelling and all of that were not at the level that my subscriber count would indicate. So I was like, oh, it just felt very overwhelming. I'm like, oh, I guess I need to figure out this whole YouTube thing. Yeah. So it was pretty overwhelming at first while I was finding my footing and finding like, how deep do I want to go down this notion rabbit hole? That was... Yeah. It was a concern of mine, like, do I want to be associated with a software? There's always risks when you when you do that, right? Like, soft, just like our own software, like what happens when the software you've been using for a while suddenly no longer exists or, or changes? So it was something I had th thought deeply about. And I thought, what's the worst that can happen? I've done so many different roles and things, and I, I know I have so much value to offer. I've shifted gears so many times in my career. What if this is just a chapter and I have some fun with it? What could happen? Yeah. So you've, you've obviously thought about this pretty deeply, you know, if Notion were to say, go, go out of business tomorrow and just magically disappear, like, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, I would pivot again. And I think, uh, despite the fact that a lot of my work is centered around Notion or in a way Notion is almost like the, uh, sell them what they want, give them what they need. So the mm. course, for example, is a lot more about designing your own workflow that we happen to do that in Notion. It's not necessarily like learn how to use Notion, the tool. And, and that's in some ways a little bit of a surprise. People come in expecting just to learn about the tool and they're like, oh, I didn't realize this is like learning for how to, how to live better in a way. And so of course I can't help but infuse all that permaculture stuff into the course. Yeah. Like that's the sort of stuff I'm like, it's like sneaking in the vegetables, right? I um, love that. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's a delight. It's a surprise. And um, so if, you know, if something changes, I would just be using a different tool, just like I have, mm -hmm. you know, throughout my whole career, it's like, sh okay, shift gears, let's try something different, but the principles are enduring, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, you're taking this principles approach. And that means that whatever tool you use, you can apply those those principles to any tool. It doesn't have to be Notion. It doesn't have to be Rome or Evernote or whatever. Exactly. I, I think what's so neat about you know tools like uh, Notion and Rome, and I think it's a it's a tool for again helping you notice how you think and how you show up and how you operate. And because there is thinking involved, because the tool isn't opinionated, you're having to layer on your own best practices in a way. So it's forcing you to think a little bit more deeply about why you set something up a certain way. So it's more work. And for some people that's quite frustrating. Like, I just want a tool that works just like, yeah. <laughs> let me in there. And you know, Asana is a great to-do list manager. Notion is not a to-do list manager. It's something quite different. And I think it's more of a creative tool. So I think it attracts different kinds of people. Um, you know, different tools I think do inherently kind of attract different people. But I just think it's such a creative tool for uh, like, self-development work in a way to help you just yeah notice your own behavior and and how you think about things yeah i think that's such an overlooked part of productivity in general is everyone is searching for the perfect system that works for everything but really it boils down to figuring out how you operate and how you know what are the structures that work for you what are the the formats and the tools that best suit your own personal work style and and finding finding that out and figuring that out is a difficult process. But yeah. once, once you get to that point, you're not reliant on a specific tool. You're not reliant on, you know, some, you know, perfect magical system to be all be in place for you to get stuff done. Exactly. Yep. Totally agree. So you've been sort of a, you know, quote unquote creator for, you know, many years now. And I think, you know, just, just a few years ago, it, it, it would have felt kind of crazy to say like, oh yeah, I'm a full-time YouTuber or I'm a full-time course creator. But now I think people are starting to realize that this kind of thing is becoming a new normal, especially I feel like, you know, that the whole pandemic has sort of accelerated the acceptance of, of paying for 
paying good money for, for courses online, for the effectiveness of these courses online. Talk to me about like the whole like creator economy and, and what you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly have been someone that has always been willing to buy online courses. Like that's, that's been my universe for a really long time. Same. I think that's, you know, like, I think that's, that's even why like my husband and I built course software. Like we were so in that space and seeing how many of our clients, um, you know, like, again, I sort of got my start as a web designer and digital strategist. So mm -hmm. I was working with so many people that had websites and these online course ecosystems and membership communities. And those were the clients that had the budgets to pay us. And I was like, oh, interesting. There's like something here to this whole, like, you know, having digital products and having uh, courses and, and things that have a little bit more leverage than that one-on-one -on -one time. So yeah. I, I think I've certainly been steeped in that world for a long time. And, you know, we've talked about this on Twitter, like how, how much of our budget goes toward that learning. And, and um, if I can pay a little bit of this money here to, to fast track this long-term, you know, save time or, or kind of fast track my learning, like a lot of us are, are quite willing to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Not everybody has the capacity necessarily financially, but uh, so I do think it's becoming more normalized. For me, I guess it's been normal for a while, but I'm seeing it more public, right? Like yeah. People on Twitter definitely are talking more about it. They're sharing more of their process, which I find is so interesting. It's really cool to see how common and normalized it's becoming to share numbers or what worked or what didn't, or, uh, hey, here's how many followers I had on this date and check out what changed. And, you know, I, I think it's really valuable, obviously, for people to be sharing, not just the numbers, but um, here's what I learned along the way. And here are some things that can, that can save you time. So it's, it's cool to see how, you know, these trends change over time, especially on, on Twitter. I feel like Twitter has such a different vibe today than it did like 10, five, 10 years ago. Yeah, for sure. It's totally different now. And the conversations and the community and, and things that are happening, it's so interesting. Uh, on the YouTube front, I do find that part really interesting too, because if you told me, you know, two years ago, even that, Oh, you're going to have a YouTube channel and that's going to be where you, where you spend any of your time. I w probably wouldn't have believed you, but it's just kind of unbeatable as a medium in terms of um, the way we feel connected to people on video and especially with the pandemic, like we're kind of almost more used to being on video now, right? Like Zoom calls and, and everything is happening through video. So again, it's becoming more normalized and combine the sharing and the video, like it's just becoming, I think, I don't want to say more comfortable because I still think it takes time, right? To, to build that muscle, to, it feels so weird and silly to look into a camera lens when there's yes. like no one there, right? It's like, we got our teleprompters and we're like, la, la, it's la. It's super weird. <laughs> it's very strange. Um, so I certainly wouldn't have believed it, but I, I've just seen the power in that as a, as a medium for creating transformation. And there's, it's, it's hard to beat in terms of uh, the, free traffic, right? Like that alignment, if someone's looking for the thing and it gets served to them at the right moment, yeah. it's an incredible way to build your brand. Yeah, it's 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 interesting you talk about, you know, things like revenue and, you know, in the past, I think talking about numbers and stuff like that is is almost sort of seen as a kind of a taboo or like if you're, if you are talking numbers, you know, like five, 10 years ago, people talking numbers on Twitter were all, you know, they're bragging about like, oh, I made a million dollars this year and I bought a Lambo and I've got my yacht. But now, now it's, now it's become this thing to, to build in public and to say, hey, like I made a piece of software and it made $100 last month and I'm celebrating and everyone is super happy about that. How do you how do you navigate that space of being willing to talk about numbers while also not, you know, not coming off as like you're bragging or like you're showing off? What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think that is exactly the space that I am trying to navigate right now. Um you know, I've, I've, I feel like I've often shared generously in terms of my experience. I do feel like it, it can get a little bit tricky uh, whenever you start talking about money. We, a lot of us have very preconceived notions of, and stories of, you know, what it means when someone has money, or we assume that people uh, that are making a lot of money with their products had a trust fund or like, mm -hmm. and we make a lot of assumptions about people. And like my husband and I have had tons of arguments about this because we come from very different backgrounds and different perspectives on, on money. So, yeah. um, you know, I grew up not really having any, but thinking anything was possible. I was so motivated to kind of leave the, the level of, of revenue that my parents earned. I was like, I know I can do better. Like I, I don't want to, um, 
to be in debt. Like my parents in a way kind of normalized debt. They were like, oh, well, mm. the world runs on debt. Like that's just how it is. And, uh, and so I kind of grew up with that, but I was so tired of being in debt. I'm like, no, I know that I'm, I meant for, for more than this. And my husband is more like people don't leave their, their, you know, <laughs> economic, uh, tier, you know, like most people typically stay within whatever economic, uh, yes, it's difficult to, to move up. It is right. It, it's harder. Like it's definitely harder, but not impossible. And so we often yeah. had these like nature nurture and like, are we, de you know, destined to, to stay within the, the economic circles that we, that we're born into. And, uh, so I've, it's, it's tricky. So, you know, my husband sometimes would assume if someone had a lot of money, it's like, oh, that must be nice or like must be nice to have a trust fund. I'm like, how much do you actually know about that person's background? Because we're, mm. you're making a lot of assumptions that that person has access to capital. Yes, access to capital makes things easier, but you, uh, there's plenty of people that have capital, but don't, haven't done the practice, haven't, you know, honed their skills, like for yeah. sure. Um, and there's lots of people that have access to nothing and they're, they're able to do incredible things in their life. So, I've been a big believer in that uh, nurture is a huge part. Like who are the mentors? Who are the people that you have access to? If we are the sum of the five people that we spend the most time with, well, whose opinions do I want to be listening to? And, and kind of what am I paying attention to that's going to elevate me and move me forward? So it's kind of like a very long-winded way of answering your question. But <laughs> all it's to say is like talking about money is uncomfortable. People make a lot of assumptions. I'm very mindful of that and very aware of that. And I, whenever I'm sharing, I want... I want to share the lessons and the learnings and the, this is possible, but yes. it's also really hard work. And I've put in that hard work and you can too. And in fact, it might be a little easier if you like learn from these mistakes here. So I think how it's delivered and how it's presented can, can go a long way in terms of empowering people versus, Hey, I'm just celebrating my win. Right. So it, I am definitely navigating that space too. And I'm curious if you have any sort of gut thoughts about it like do you feel uncomfortable when people share their their earnings or are you like yeah you go buddy <laughs> yeah i'm definitely i'm more on the side of i uh, honestly i used to be on the side of like oh like you're just bragging whatever like oh you're, you're talking it must be nice or yeah, yeah. <laughs> it must be nice or like you, you know oh yeah, that's just gross revenue you're not talking about your like total you know your gross actual profit revenue. yeah right um and now I've, I've come around to thinking more like you are where it's sharing these numbers and sharing what's possible is a hugely, I think, empowering thing to do. Uh, I, I had no idea that people could make a living by selling courses online or by being yeah. a YouTuber and watching, you know, watching you, watching, uh, you know, Tiago Forte has shared some of his numbers. Um, you know, like Ali Abdal is talking about how much he makes as a YouTuber now. And it's, it's eye-opening to see those numbers. And if you can step beyond that, that like oh it must be nice type of feeling and go oh, okay what like, can i so learn from this what can i learn from this and like what can i learn about you know how the internet is making all of this stuff possible now whereas maybe it's it's true and in, in the past it, it was hard to move up you know significantly between different economic levels uh but now we have this we have access to to these tools like you know like youtube or like notion where we have so much uh we have so much power available for basically free, right? It, it's insane yeah. that you can upload, you can upload thousands of hours to, to YouTube and they'll host it for free. That's crazy. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So it, I actually am coming around to believing that sharing numbers like this and in a thoughtful way, of course, you, you, I think if you made a, a tweet the next, you know, if you made a tweet tomorrow that was like, I made like a bajillion dollars on my notion course, I'd be kind of mad at you, but you know, I think, doing it doing it in a respectful way where it's like hey this is what's possible with years of of work and building an audience and and building useful uh you know useful content and useful useful products that people want that this is something that's possible yeah and i think you know context is is so helpful too like um you know with courses like ali abdal's and, and building a second brain there's a team right there's a whole yeah. team supporting people and so um, I think there's often that like myth of the indie creator making, you know, crap tons of money and you're going to hit a ceiling at some point. I mean, there's lots of, lots of really cool indie people that are making like a boatload of money on their one product. But uh, really when you're talking about like scaling, I think uh, we kind of depend on having more team members. So you never really know, like, what are the operations behind the scenes? Mm -hmm. What are those person's expenses? 
you know, how much are they paying themselves as a salary? There's, there's all sorts of things we don't really know. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to share in a thoughtful way uh, because I think there's, there's so many different ways you can launch products and that you can, um, like there's so many different styles of courses too. Like, you know, we've seen Tiago uh, talk about like evergreen courses are terrible or whatever. Like people, <laughs> people have very uh, strong opinions one way or the other about like what makes a really good course and what makes for really great online learning. Uh, and so I think there's so many different ways to launch products. Like I, for example, have never used paid ads. I don't, I'm not paying for Facebook ads. Like I have zero interest in doing that. And I'm okay with slower growth. I mean, yeah. I can't even say my growth is slow. It's not, I'm at like 800 students right now. That's incredible. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. with, with no paid ads, right? And so it's, I, I think that's a really interesting nugget. Like I'd love to share with people, you know, here's how I built a course and scaled it up to this many students without paid ads. Where did I focus my energy and attention? What were the biggest levers that made the biggest difference for getting new students on board? So I want to share those things and make sure people know you don't have to do it the way it's always been taught or that there isn't one best way to do it. You should be designing for your own needs, for your own goals. And my goals are going to be very different than Tiago's are going to be very different than, you know, David Perel's, And that's totally cool. So yeah. there's, there's not just one way to be a creator and to, to make money on the internet. That's what's so fun about it is to see all the, the creativity that that's coming out of it. Yeah. I think, I think when Tiago tweets things like that, he's, he's almost, he's almost trolling. He's doing research. Oh yeah. He's, he's definitely doing research. That's a, we see you, Tiago. <laughs> there's that adage, you know, if you want to learn something on the internet, post something that's wrong and a hundred people will, will come give you the right answer. <laughs> totally. That's what he's doing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, you, you say you want to talk about uh, what are the, what are the levers that you can pull? So it, let's say I'm, I eventually want to make some kind of course. I don't know what yet. I got to figure out what that yeah. looks like. But, you know, if you were giving advice to me to be selfish, like what would, what would you say are the biggest levers you would pull for, for growing, for growing students? Yeah. And would you say for like starting the course or for growing a course once you have it? Uh, let, let's say, let's say growing a course once you have one. <sighs> Yeah, I, I, I like to tap into where are people already coming from, right? Like, what's the best source of people finding out about my course? Uh, doubling down on, on what's working. I think obviously video is, is excellent. So simple things, right? Like your, your link to your course is always in your signature. It's always in your YouTube descriptions. Like yeah. what are the quickest ways to just get people knowing what you're up to? I think uh, a lot of folks make the mistake in the beginning, like you kind of because you feel like you're talking about your thing all the time, you assume everyone already knows about it. And so often people need to hear about it in a number of different places. It should be super obvious in your profile, right? It should be uh, anywhere people are, are learning about your work or seeing what you're up to, that course should be there. It should be so clear. Um, one of the things like I do that I'm much more of like a casual salesperson. Like I don't email my list as often as I should. And I don't make really hard sales pitches, but I, and so I'm going to attract a different audience, right? It might take a longer time frame before someone signs up for my thing, but I would much rather have someone have taken that time and they're pretty set, like they've made the decision, they've saved up the money to do that. So uh, I'm no expert on paid ads or anything like that. I'm really big on organic marketing. How do I answer people's questions through video? Hey, if you really like this and you want to go deeper, I go deeper in my course. You can check it out yeah. here. But like, it's very casual. It's like an invitation. Like, come if you'd like to learn more about this. Uh, you know, casually mentioning it in blog posts, just cross-linking it wherever you can. Uh, affiliates, right? So your your students that are already talking about it and bragging about it and so excited and doing tweet storms about it, or you know. Uh, Instagram and that sort of thing, just share those, right? Like elevate your students and wherever I think you can um, draw attention to your student successes, whether it's through YouTube videos, bringing on your students into a YouTube video. Like in my case, some of the students that were, you know, the best or like, you know, showed up quite a bit and, and really uh, sent me amazing testimonials. Like, hey, want to come on to office hours? Let's, yeah. let's showcase your setup. Like, this is amazing. And so there's that just feeling of community and, um, and it's very powerful to help other people be seen. So if I can make other people feel like, um, wow, I see what you're doing and, and I love it, how can I support you? There's just that like bond, I think that gets created between the teacher and the student that you've got their back and they're so excited to tell other people about it. So big on the, on the organic marketing. Yeah, that's such a great approach. I, I think back to the, the courses that I really enjoyed and they've always been ones where I knew I knew the creator beforehand and like I've read their stuff or I've seen them 
on YouTube or, you know, on Twitter or wherever. And it's, it's, it feels like I already trust this person and I know that whatever course they put out is going to be great. And that's, that's almost always the case. Totally. Yep. Yeah. I think uh, there's so many, I think, interesting creative ways you can, you can share what you're working on. Like, you know, interesting tweet storms that aren't just by my course, but it's, yeah. it's talking about the experience of wh what happens in your course, right? Like what is, what is that outcome? So um, yeah, lots of, lots of ways, but uh, I think highlight, highlighting student successes is probably <laughs> number one. Yeah, that's such a great idea. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast was I'm already chatting with people and why not, why not use uh, a platform, whatever platform I have to, you know, elevate other people, ele elevate other people's work and also, you know, share these ideas. I, I love, I love talking about this stuff and I, I would love to meet even more people who enjoy this kind of conversation. Absolutely. It's so fascinating to me how much can be learned from a conversation. And this might be a bit of a segue, but um, one of the things that I think worked so well in the very, very first online course that I did was um, I worked out an arrangement with a client such that the client allowed me to share our entire project and documentation and calls like zoom calls and everything as mm -hmm. part of my course content. So mm -hmm. um, one of the permaculture principles is stacking functions, right? Yeah. And it's like, you're doing something once, but it has multiple uses and is working for you in so many different ways. So even like recording a video and then you're using it as course material, you're using it as an onboarding, like there's so many different ways that you could use the same piece of content. So um, I'm just huge on whenever there's an opportunity where I'm like, oh, I don't really have time for this thing, but how could I work this into what I'm already doing? And one example of that was a student that came to me and said, hey, do you wanna collaborate on a workshop? And I was like, oh, like I love what the student is doing. I, yes, I want to collaborate with them, but oh my gosh, my schedule is like pretty full. And I was like, how would you feel if we offered your workshop under the umbrella of my course? Mm -hmm. And so you, you'd be like a guest coach. We'd offer it as a bundle. You'd get an affiliate revenue. So you have your own sales if it goes through yours and we can offer it as like a bonus in the course. Like what creative ways can we do to find, to make this happen, but in a way that isn't adding a ton more work to, to my plate. So I'm always kind of open to finding what are those creative you know, levers that we can pull to just get the most out of, of what we're doing. Yeah, so it's always, it's always so great when you can think of a way that's generative to do two things that both, you know, kind of amplify each other exactly. and save you time. It's great. Exactly. Yeah. I asked Twitter if they had any questions for you and uh, our friend Michael Ashcroft wanted to know, like, so you've recently sort of turned into like a really well-known course creator and YouTuber. What, what does that feel like? And how have you handled that transition from you know, being sort of relatively unknown to being someone who's, you know, the queen of notion. <laughs> it's, it was weird. Yeah, it was, it was very strange. Um, I, in a way, I, I felt like my growth had outpaced my, my mindset. Like I, I, um, it's very strange, I think when, it's like so hard to talk about this in a weird way because it's like people put you on a pedestal in a yeah. way, right? Like they think you're otherworldly or you're like, oh my gosh, you're the noticing goddess. And they, and they they do kind of elevate you to this like otherworldly non-human status. And it's like, no, no, I'm like really just a person who really loves a tool. Um, and so that was a little a little strange for sure. Um, and, and starting to see like how my work is impacting people at scale. It's like, oh, this is what you wanted. Now you're starting to see it. Like, oh, how does that yeah. feel? And then of course, all that imposter complex, those feelings come up for sure. Um, and I do have to credit my work with Tanya Geisler. She is basically the imposter complex coach. And I've done so much work around this, around like visibility and being seen. Cause like, this was definitely my, uh, like it's probably what I've done the most therapy around was my fear of being seen, being on stage. Like I've done so many courses around that, um, speaker coaching, acting classes, like just trying to get comfortable, whether it's uh, in a conversation with a client, whether it's uh, on stage, whatever that looks like, because the more and more people that invite you onto things or podcasts or to speak, I'm like, oh my gosh, I never, I have never felt like I was at that level. So I always felt like, uh, you know, looking at other speakers, I'm like, how is everyone doing this? Because for four months, I've not been able to sleep and like my face is breaking out. And I'm freaking out, right? It's not necessarily visible to people. They're like, oh, I'd never know that you're like not comfortable doing yeah. that. So that is a little jarring in a way that 
um, I have to recognize that maybe the way I'm being perceived is, is quite different than how it feels in my head, or I might feel like I'm racing and the way that I'm talking in my throat is like everything feels like it's uh, vibrating and not comfortable, but to someone else like, oh, she seems super chill. So it's taken a while to work through those nerves and just kind of see them as, yeah, like you, you care. It's because you care and you want to do your best work. And so uh, it's taken a little bit to kind of wrap my head around that and to to also deal with the volume of inquiries, right? Like I get random messages and questions and emails all the time. Sometimes it's like tech support emails. I'm like, oh, these people, this is where it gets tricky, where I'm like the relationship that I have with Notion gets blurred, where people are like, oh, well, she's just like a Notion employee. Like <laughs> clearly, clearly Notion's paying her to answer these questions. And I was like, ah, like this is tricky because obviously I have a course on this. It's, it's to my benefit to be helpful and generous and all that, but having those healthy boundaries in place to know where, where, does, where do those lines end and how do I keep people feeling supported and be helpful, but without sacrificing my own time. So yeah. there was a lot of that that kind of, I had to wrap my head around, um, hire more support. Like my assistant became a much bigger part of my business and mm -hmm. she's gonna become full-time in, in the next month or two. That's great. So like, that's a huge, exciting milestone for me. I've been solo for so long, but uh, my assistant Georgia has been such a big part. Like I could not have supported the growth of the course without having had her, you know, uh, she's answering support emails for students. If there's something, oh, my payment, I used the wrong email. Like she's handling all of that stuff so that I can yeah. be present, I can focus on content. So there's been like logistical things, mindset things, lots of things along the way that have taken, it's like taken some time where I'm like, oh, like, okay, this is, this is really happening. And a hundred, how many, hundred thousand people just saw that video that you feel really <laughs> cringy about, but like, you just got to keep, keep shipping. Like it's, it's hard. And uh, I think it gets, it gets easier, right? But it's still never comfortable. And I think that's what people need to know is uh, it's not like creators like us don't feel uncomfortable or don't feel like uh, just because I have that many videos doesn't mean it's easy. It's still hard. I just keep doing it anyway, right? Yeah, I love that framing. It's the, you know, the, the nerves and the, the imposter syndrome is because you care, right? I love that, that framing. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, my coach, I think kind of said it like if you have imposter complex, it's because you are, you are an authority and you care, right? Like yeah. you have that barometer that, you know, we certain people shouldn't talk about things unless they have some experience. So even the fact that you think like that or that you're aware of it, uh, you're usually kind of further along than maybe your your gremlins want you to think about. Um, you know, just like fraudulent people, like they they're not worried about imposter complex; they're just like being frauds. Uh, so it's taken a little bit. Uh, to wrap your head around this idea that you don't even need to be the world's foremost expert. You just need to know something about a thing and share it and be willing yeah. to share it with someone who's even like one level behind you, right? So we all have something to offer. You don't have to know it all to be able to offer it. So I think that's that's the biggest mindset of like, um, nobody can argue with your learned experience. So if you can just share your learned experience, there's like nothing nothing to argue there. It's like, yeah. I'm just, just sharing this isn't fact this is just experience that i'm sharing and I, I think in many ways it's a better way to learn as well as to to learn from someone who's you know maybe one or two steps ahead of you as opposed to learning from someone who you know maybe like a, a developer at notion who's so so deeply embedded into it that they can't even understand yeah. what it feels like to be a beginner you know i love that that's a good reminder um and, and I think that was something I struggled with too, because it's like I had spent so much time mastering this tool. And then I was like, oh, right. Like, you know, the first time I ran it, I'm like, oh, stuff that I thought was really obvious or clear. It's like, oh, right. I forgot that that actually took me a while to, to learn. And so yeah. it's quite humbling in the beginning, right? So um, I'm a huge fan of launching in beta, always, always. And in my case, I felt like it was a five or six month beta. In some ways, I feel like the course is never done because I'm always kind of adding content or improving it. But mm -hmm. when you're willing to sit in that beta, like this is in progress and, you know, selling at a lower price point while you're working through those like inner demons and gremlins and like, is this good enough? Spend the time, make it good enough, but give yourself that container to, uh, to learn and play and get that student feedback before you, you know, scale it. Yeah. I, I like that idea of, of launching a beta where it's, you know, the people who are going to join are, are people who already know you pretty well, probably. And they're, they're super also really, fans. Yeah, yeah, they're super fans and, you know, they're the ones who are going to give you the best feedback and 
you know, they're also going to be forgiving when you make, make mistakes or whatever, right? And then also too, I think uh, it gives you a chance to be more generous. So, oh, I, when I only promised this, but now I'm like, oh, you know what would make this course better? I really want to add this workshop on this, or I want to bring in a guest on this. And, and that just feels more generous. Yeah. Um, obviously you have to be careful that you're not like firing, fire hosing people because of your own <laughs> insecurities where you're like, got to make it better, got to make it better. And it never finishes. Obviously you do have to kind of put some container around that. But I think if, if people are struggling with the confidence of putting their product out there, do it in a more rough and ready kind of invite only, you know, send an invitation to 12 people in your inner network. That's like, Hey, I'm, I'm working on this course. It's going to do X, Y, Z. Is this something you'd be interested in? I know, I know that you've mentioned this on Twitter. Like, can you tie it in with something personal somebody's mentioned where I said, I remember our conversation and you said this, I'm working on a course on this. Is this something you'd be interested in? And it's just a conversation. It's just an invitation. Um, And I, you know, I posted about this on on Twitter, but the very first course I did was pay what you can or pay what you want. Um, And it was like kind of an experiment in, in generosity. And that was part of building my own confidence was like, I just didn't know how to put a price on it yet. So I'm like, all right, let's have other people tell me what, what they think it's worth. <laughs> I mean, and that ties back to like these revenue numbers and things like that. It's sort of when you're first building your first course, or your first product, it's, it's hard to put a price on that or to feel like, like, oh, am I ripping people off? Or like, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a weird mind head space thing to, to get over. There's so much money mindset stuff that like it is, it's challenging. It's, yeah. it's very challenging. Like, uh, you know, Tashin and I built this, this product called the digital productivity coach. And yeah. for the longest time it was uh, pay what you want. And we realized that, uh, you know, we could, we could charge money for this. You know, we, we had upgraded it enough to the point where we felt like it was worth something. And as soon as we did, the sales started going up and it was, it was, it was such a, like, who knew? <laughs> like, oh, it, yeah, the, I mean, people you know, take take things more seriously exactly. when when there's money associated with it, right? Like, um, I think it was Tara McMullen that said, the price tells a story. So what mm. story are you telling with your products? If you're not even valuing your own products, uh, you know, I bought lots of like $29 or like course bundles that include 300 courses and maybe right. dip into like three or four. But yeah, our price does, does tell a story. And uh, Mariah Cause has been a big part of my own like mindset shift around money to uh, you know seeing what a very very high end course experience looks like or coaching program where you know ten thousand dollar coaching programs twenty thousand dollar coaching programs and then to hear the people in that group share like five thousand dollar hourly rates like it yeah. like it ain't no thing and I was like whoa okay that puts <laughs> it puts things in perspective when I'm pricing my course holy moly so it's uh, there's there's an art to it for sure. It really changes your your conception of what's possible and what's what what people are willing to pay for you know services and you know the the stuff you're the stuff you're you're teaching is is super valuable and you know to to the right to the right business to the right person that it's a it's a no brainer right yeah I, yeah it's yeah. <laughs> It's, it's such a weird, it's such a weird like headspace to get around. But that's why too, sharing, I think is, is so important and having access to those conversations, because if you didn't know that that was possible, right? Like if I didn't know, like there are people charging $5,000 an hour and making good money doing that, or uh, that you can charge this amount for a coaching program and people are super happy to pay that and, and feel like they got a ton out of it. So if we don't know that those price points even exist, uh, like I know you, like a couple years ago, even I'd, I'd hear people, I still kind of cringe when I hear people say like your six figure X or like, like when anything is positioned around like building your six or seven figure business, I'm like, yeah. ah, cringe, like whatever. Um, that's fine. But often I found those people, uh, I just thought those people were full of shit, right? It's like, oh, sure, whatever. Like that some of the numbers just seem so outrageous. So I was like, whatever, that's not the norm and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, oh, well, when you find product market fit, that can be the norm. Like those numbers actually aren't that unreasonable when, when you do the math, when you're not charging $29 for things that you're putting so many hours in. So yeah, it takes, uh, it takes a while. And obviously it takes experience to know kind of how much you can charge for something and what, what value does it carry for the person that's, that's willing to pay. So you've got, you've got your Notion Mastery course. You've got a YouTube channel that's blowing up. What's, what's next on your pipeline? What are you thinking about? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the YouTube is still pretty inconsistent, right? So when I first started, I was doing a video every week. I think mm -hmm. for 12 weeks, I managed to pull it off. Then I, then I collapsed. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I needed to shift gears and work on the course content. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure, like, for me, the hardest part was discerning, well, how much do I talk about on YouTube versus behind the course? And how do you, like, find you know, how generous are you with the content? And yeah. uh, I know Ali Abdallah talked about this a little bit, like err on the side of being just more generous, right? Like the course is not just about like, it's the same videos, like there's a different experience there. So sometimes I've had to think about that um, in that I want the people that sign up for the course to feel like they always kind of get first access. They're always kind of, oh, what's Marie thinking about next or what's happening mm -hmm. there? So finding that that pace and that balance is, is definitely something I'd like to get more consistent with my my YouTube publishing, get into more of a workflow. I'm I'm definitely gonna be revisiting those those videos from Ali and, and going back to the productivity videos and um, you know really figuring out how to batch the content in a in a really yeah. smart way for sure. That's one piece. And then like my permaculture business framework. Like I, it's been simmering for a long time and I've been like applying it in these different ways and teasing it out, but I want to talk about it more. And even though it feels like unfinished and scary, I'm like, well, that's a sign that you got to talk about it. Yeah, so, that's the fun part. <laughs> yeah, so it feels intimidating because I don't know where it's heading. Like, is there a book? Is there a framework? Is there a course? I don't really know. And I have to be more comfortable with that unknown. So just ship, shipping more, shipping more generously, uh, sharing more behind the scenes and just, yeah, continuing to like find more leverage wherever I can. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to hear more about, you know, permaculture, whatever you come up with in that space, <laughs> awesome. and, you know, to see more YouTube videos. Yeah. You know, your, uh, your studio is already looking much better. It's great. Every, every week it gets a little bit better, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, each of our videos kind of gets better each time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every time you upload a video, it's like, there's like 5,000 things. You're just like, oh, I could have done that better. Uh, <laughs> it's the worst. I'm but curious. It's... Yeah. How I'm curious how you, uh, like, even like what's your YouTube experience felt like in, in that vein as well. Yeah. I mean, ever since taking Ali's course, I've been launching a video a week about, and it's always it just feels like every time I upload, I'm just like, oh man, there's like a hundred things I could be doing better. Uh, I know. But that's 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 part of the journey, right? Is is getting those those first hundred whatever videos out and, and yeah, improving and improving. So you so you've like committed. You're doing the weekly thing. You're making yeah. it happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying trying to hit a hundred videos at one a week at least for however long that takes. We'll see. Yeah, and I love that you shared that in your you know, Twitter profile, it's like mm. 21 out of 100. I, I think that's such a great, uh, I assume it's partly for your own accountability, right? It's like, this is what I'm working on. It's pretty cool. Yeah, because I, I know if I if I stall on that number for a while, I've got friends who will be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> Where's this week's video? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I, I'm curious too, your thoughts on this, but it, it does feel a little bit like since pandemic that just there's just more consumption happening with oh, yeah. YouTube too. So it just feels like the natural, like, in a way there'll be more competition like more people will just be more active on youtube right so there may be an element of how do we find good content now mm -hmm. which kind of has its own challenges but yeah you must notice it uh just more more people consuming their content on youtube in general yeah i mean the the numbers are just crazy i think there's now like a, a billion monthly active users on youtube which it's just it's nuts to think about and you know you think about oh there's a lot of competition right like a you know, we're both in the productivity space and, you know, th there's much bigger players in that space already, you know, like the Ali Abdals and the Matt Tivelas and, and all these people with a million subs, it feels like, oh, like, can I really, can I really start something that will grow that big? Yeah. Uh, but then you think about a billion users, you know, there's maybe 300 million YouTube channels out there. So, you know, if you do the math, it, it's, there's actually a ton of potential for your own personal spin on, on these topics and, you know, it's not like I'm going to go copy Ali Abdal, like whatever I end up making videos about, I think we'll have my own spin on them. We'll have my own perspective on them as well. So I'm excited to see what happens, whether it's, you know, if my channel grows, that's great. But if it doesn't, then it'll have been a fun experiment and I'll have learned a whole bunch of skills about lighting and about camera stuff Sorry. and about speaking to a camera, which is storytelling. Yeah. Storytelling. Yeah. These are all skills that even if I, you know, even if I quit YouTube in a year, I think being able to speak on camera and, and to have conversations with other people like this uh, is such an important skill to have that it, Enduring, it's a yeah. win anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think 
we forget to like you can hear the same thing like a hundred different times but like the way one person says it you're like yes right um and so i think it's really about resonance and we're all going to resonate with people in different ways so um even for me like voice is so important if if i if i don't you know love some somebody's voice uh, i don't actually don't listen to a lot of podcasts because i can find sometimes it's a bit grating mm-hmm. so i really have to feel like i i jive with somebody's delivery style and their voice and yeah, so sure. that's not the case for everybody or or you know some creators are just like eh, they're like too too broy or like you know uh, they have presenter voice and it like feels overly exaggerated or whatever so we forget that uh we're going to resonate with different people in different ways and so uh even if it's been said before it maybe hasn't been said with your particular inflection or the perspective that, that you're going to bring to it so it's a good good reminder exactly i used to i used to coach weightlifting as sort of a side gig and wow. uh, a lot of there's a lot of technique that's involved in in the process and every single athlete has a different like conception of what their body is doing during the mm-hmm. during the movements and it's it's that same thing that you can tell them like you know put you know push with your legs push with your legs and they'll be like what are you even talking about i have no what idea what you're mean? talking about <laughs> and you know you, you change something small like like instead of saying push through your legs you say like oh push through the balls of your feet or something like that and they yeah. just immediately go like why didn't you tell me that <laughs> you know and it's it, it's a similar thing where yeah you know you can say the same thing in a hundred different ways and you know a hundred different people will resonate differently with that absolutely yeah i mean with certainly with notion i'm like okay wow how like how you explain something with such a complex tool you've got people who are super savvy with with tech and have like you know played with all sorts of different tech their whole lives and people who are coming at it that have no experience whatsoever with other tools notion is their first tool like that i'm like oh wow like the challenge of um how to explain something from first principles, but that someone else wants to hear that information in a different way. How do you teach that at a course level such that that information is enduring even when you're not there to clarify? So like, whoo, how do we distill this down? It is like the ultimate challenge, I think, to yeah. be really succinct in a course and to make sure that that you're communicating in the right way. Oh, that's, it's the challenge, the ultimate challenge. That is, that is, the, that is the ultimate <laughs> challenge with any kind of skilled like teaching product and yeah. stuff. Yeah, hope to hope to keep honing it. Cool. Well, we're coming up on the end of the hour here, and I want to respect your time. But thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, you can find me mariepoolin.com, uh, mariepoolin on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can probably just Google my name and <laughs> find me at any one of those places. But Twitter is probably the one I'm I'm most active on, I think. And uh, YouTube, of course, if you're into productivity videos. Awesome. Well, I'll put links to all those in the description below. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. Thank you so much. Bye.